Welcome to the MagLife Podcast. In the last episode, you heard from Brandon and Taylor. They were here with us in the studio, and uh, we just started having a conversation shortly after that podcast was recorded, and there was some pretty good stuff coming out, so I hit the record button again, and I uh, hope you enjoy some just candid, stream-of-conscious conversation. The audio quality is not the best, not as good as it was the one before, because we had the mic being shared by about six people in here, but I uh, hope you get some good stuff out of it. Thanks for listening. It's like there's no reason not to expand the people I know because like there's it's not about what you know it's about what you don't know and I think that's really intriguing. Man, getting into this industry has been the absolute coolest thing, and meeting all these people and learning from everybody else because I didn't know shit like the basic safety rules got those not a problem but the actual manipulation and different schools of thought like who should I be looking at? And Sean yeah. gives me this list of like these are some of the most top of the line shooters that ever existed that a lot of what we know now is based on yeah and then getting people in the community around it more opportunities to actually get behind the wheel so to speak oh like, for sure you know what's funny is it's not really the people that have because i i've been i've been it's not it's not like a prerequisite to it because you can be into it without being on it but the biggest uh i think catalyst to the whole quote-unquote industry whether it just be firearms or the training in general the catalyst to it of course is going to be social media mm-hmm. so i've been doing the whole social media thing since 2012 uh i've been on it i've been posting gun shit been following everybody in the in the fucking training world both while i was in a green uniform and now into while i was on in a blue uniform and then there was a time in between where i fucking tried it that was the whole ETTS and TAF shit. And I was taking a lot of classes, of course, in the military. I got out. I took a bunch of pistol and rifle classes because obviously regiment, you don't shoot pistol for fucking shit. Same thing in the core. You just you don't. And then we were teaching. And a lot of it, what I saw was a regurgitation of the bullshit. And I tried to get away from it. The instructors I was with, there was a lot of the regurgitation of the big stuff that really had no place in the civilian world. And then as I was taking classes, I saw who wasn't regurgitating the military stuff, but who was also talking about performance-based learning styles. Uh, and I tried to mold myself after them. But what you see in the training world is like dudes who are so into who they were mm-hmm. and where they were from that they can't adapt to the civilian world. And I think that the best dudes in the industry, regardless of what they did, they could have fast roped fucking out of helicopters, landed on buildings like we were doing. They could have went to fucking space for all I care. But it's the dudes who have a grounded approach to actual training mm-hmm. sans that fucking ego and bringing their like history into it. So, so you know some of the people I've taken classes from and like some, some like you said, quote unquote, switched on guys. You know whose class I'm stoked about this year is I really want to take Ben Stoker's. Ben Stoker's a hell, well, did you start reading all the books? Oh my God, yeah. I mean like, I'm not even like a reader. That makes me sound extra dumb. But, but see like, again, he has a grounded, <laughs> a grounded approach to training with a performance mindset. And then it's just like we were talking about the principles. You take the principles of getting the fucking job done via rounds down range and you apply them to whatever but situation. His dry fire book is a legitimate page turner. Like yeah. it's like, you're like, well, this should make sense. And that's why like, have you taken one of Scott's classes? Have you seen, have you seen no. I, I've known Scott for years, and he's right, taught next to me every year at OTOA in the adjacent range, but I haven't been able to take one of his classes yet. This, to, his, to his credit, because I had been, so I recently went to his RDS instructor course. I got a free slot to it via my switched on uh, department, sending a lot of our TAC dudes to various different TTPOA back classes. Bless up to the department. Um, but I had been shooting RDS pistols for 
seven years. Like I've been shooting RDS, but like I knew what I was doing. I can make hits, and I would I think of myself as either a competent or a fast quote unquote shooter. And I know what the fuck I'm doing, but it was largely self taught. I remember fucking the first time I threw an RMR on a pistol in 2013, and I wanted to throw the pistol away because yeah. I couldn't figure it the fuck out. <laughs> and then seven years later, now here we are, and I'm helping spearhead our and give insight to our department's RDS program. Went to went to Jedi's class. And the way he, an RDS pistol class is nothing more than a pistol class. Yeah. It's just a pistol class. Like, yeah, there's some nuances you talk about in regards to finding the dot and site acquisition, tracking your dot during recoil pattern shooting, but it's no different than just a fucking pistol class. But Mm -hmm. the way he approaches the methodology of training and getting better at the shooting process, mixed in with his eloquent way of describing everything you're doing while sighting while shooting the visual process of shooting i'm like holy shit i've been doing this but what he just said makes more sense and i'm gonna apply it and i'm gonna get faster i was like holy shit i'm getting faster yeah because of just somehow he just eloquently says shit and explains what you're already doing you're like whoa just flipped my head upside down that's great and then the exercises and the methodology within his class flowed well how I talk about flowing in classes mm-hmm. to like actually be good classes. Then he's just funny shit. Yeah, no, I like Scott a lot. He's uh these good people, man. And I, I put up a video, man, it was probably two or three months ago, but he sent me a message and was like, Holy shit, this was spot on. It was it was just about trigger reset. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I stopped teaching the, the trap technique many, many years ago. You know, I explained it, but I'm like the 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 physics behind it, there is no argument that you know resetting during recoil is not faster like i I can prove it on with math on paper on the amount of movement that has to happen before x happens this has to happen like the 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 fact that people are still pushing that as the technique to hear the reset every time like and does that let you shoot faster because you're only releasing just to reset like it doesn't make any sense right so but there's still people out there who aren't into that who aren't there you know which is kind of weird and um, but then when you put them in a combat focused pistol they're doing it they are (laughs) resetting the trigger in flight because they're trying to shoot fast in a combat oriented and I'm like dude you're doing it it's intuitive it It is intuitive absolutely exactly I've seen many structures who who teach the trap technique but when they shoot they're racing off the trigger and back to the wall during recoil. Exactly. I'm like, you're not doing what you're teaching. And it's, I think what it is, and I've struggled with this over the past few years too, and I've brought it to the average Joe's group in some of our fundamental pistol classes. It, you, you teach sight acquisition and sight picture and sight alignment through a controlled methodology between handling the gun, gripping the gun, and getting your sights on target, and then trying to make them accurate by decreasing as much movement within the trigger as possible. These are all shit I'm sure you know. So we teach pinning the trigger to a brand new shooter so they get acclimated with what the gas pedal feels like. But that in itself is a hindrance to further learning Mm -hmm. because all they want to do is now in the trigger it's training wheels they don't take off that's the argument there's like oh no but, it, but you, you I'm sure you'll agree that's how people play like, uh, that I'm teaching them this just just for the beginner shooter right I don't even teach beginner shooter side alignment I don't even like I, I'm, we might go a whole handgun class for 16 hours straight and I never even talk about side alignments it depends on what I see on the target if I see groups that looks like they understand how to align their sights but these groups are indicative of moving the gun during the trigger process process 
I'm not going to stop and draw pictures and talk about site alignment. It's clear that everybody here understands how to align their sites. That one person that's doing something really weird, I want to go try to investigate and see they're aligning their sites somewhere. You know, in Western culture, we put our left shoes on the left, our right shoes on the right. We align the hills or align the toes. We don't have to have lines in our parking spot. We pull our cars right next to the other ones. We align things. We, we intuitively align everything. Uh, this is like in line with this. Even think about it. You know, our phone is <laughs> like, it's just, it's normal. We align things constantly. It's so intuitive. So people get that. But every once in a while, they'll put the bottom of the, the front site in the, t- in the top of the rear site, or they'll put the top in the bottom of it or something just not quite perfect. But site alignment is almost never the, the issue with a shooter. You know, it's site alignment. It's sight picture and how much time on the trigger they're spending trying to get that perfect fucking that they they, they screw up they, they screw up the making it go bang part right yes. because you could spend five hours and have the best sight alignment ever if you move the gun when you press the trigger you just wasted five hours exactly right so they need to understand trigger press before we can even start caring about sights. you focus heavily on triggers yeah yes. yes. See, what have I brought to our classes? I focus on good enough sight picture. Like we talk about sight picture so versus sight alignment. We talk about sight alignment, what it looks like. So that they have an idea of what it is. And we go to the range. I mean, one of the most, one of the common exposure exercises that we do is take the worst potato in the class, stand them up at the three yard line, have them press out with their eyes open, close their eyes and just give me a good smooth trigger press. Bam, A zone. Okay, were your sights good? Well, I don't know, my eyes were closed. Okay, see, now we start tapping into the sights being good and we can become more accurate, but already we are intuitively pressing out where we need to press out. It's all about situation, distance, and what is my hit zone. But it's also funny that you talked about, um, I lost my train of thought. You were talking about sights, and I just... just good enough. You were talking good, about good enough sight picture. Good enough sight picture is where it's at, because we I, I brought to the classes heavily, it's all about trigger. So I don't Trigger. know if it was JT's last monthly challenge or maybe it was yours, but we talked about in the transition, like you had a lot of people slowing down for that, that, that had to have that exact perfect sight picture. And you have at three yards, you have an index card. That is not a heat. That's not oh, a super it was, uh, And it was just like, is it, it good JT's, enough? Yeah. And to watch some people's just heads blow up, like I don't have a sur- perfect sight picture, but it's good enough. And you let one go. And it's to get the, I mean, it's it's how you move along as a shooter. You have to find your limits. We just put out the, the video. Thank you. Did you publish that one, the YouTube one this morning? It's up and ready. But, but uh, it's that whole idea of, you know, if I've got my sights aligned or if I'm using a red dot, red stuff's on bad stuff, um, you can't hold still, right? Like you're, you're not going to, this is, you're going to have a wobble area, right? Place the center of your wobble, the center of your wobble and the center of your aiming area and make the gun go bang without moving it. Like there's nothing more that you can do. Uh, it's all about trigger. Now there's things that help that, um, having a good grip, having a good position, minimizing the amount of jump that happens at the gun is gonna minimize your you know, nervous system response of trying to force the gun down because you have less of a need to do it. So everything supports that. But really, I, I think we overcomplicate things a lot, Dude, Brandon. Really? I, think, I think a lot of instructors want to sound smart. They'll write an article for a publication and they'll put 2,000 words down, not trying to transfer knowledge, but trying to show how smart they are. You know what's funny is the worst classes I've taken are the dudes that, and this isn't, I'm not slamming one person, I'm not trying to point out anybody, but- We're we all flawed. To, we all have yeah. to self-realize as instructors, and I think that the best thing that teaches people how to shoot is shooting. And when I've been to a couple classes, we've all been to them, where the dudes talk way too mm-hmm. fucking much. Oh God. Yeah. Like, let's get to shooting, you know, let's have your exercises and your course of fire and the flow of your course, 
validate the little bit that you say. We don't need to talk about this and that. And God, dude, when, if I if I even go to a class and I hear an instructor say, "Well, back when I was in <laughs> name of name of city," that's a right. Bonus. I'm like, dude, it's not story time. It's shooting time. You lost me. Yeah. All right. So, are y'all ready for this question? I'm here. All right. Really so, this is this is this is sort of open ended, and I want to hear Brandon, Daniel. I want to hear y'all. Oh, so you how you say a, this? Yeah, you had some questions. Yeah. Here we go. All right. So, we were talking about moving shooters from one class from a fundamentals into an applied course, maybe into one day a night vision course, and you have to make sure the students are ready for something. But how do individually? y'all deal with shooters that already know too much or are not receptive to learning i think that's most human beings yes but the ones that are just like you, you could show them nine times out of ten what they're doing wrong but they don't fix it are we what talking you, about because they have a bad attitude or the, the wrong learning mindset or because the they just mindset. aren't getting it the wrong, not, it's not not getting it they're, the confused student you can always work through there's there's it's like what we talked about there's different ways to teach everything i'll answer but, this with how we teach our classes and it's the same mindset in the little monthly challenges what do i always say uh, when you guys are like trying to figure out your monthly challenges keep it simple but it's still fun to the novice shooter. We want an exercise, or in this case, if you were to answer the question, a block of instruction with set exercises to the block of instruction that is both valuable to the brand new shooters, where they go, holy shit, everything he's talking about, I can see it in this exercise and it's making me a better shooter. Even though they're shooting an exercise that you and I can do in sub two seconds, they're taking eight seconds to do it, mm -hmm. but they're getting the concept of shooting down. But then that, new, that novice dude that's like, oh yeah, I've been shooting for a few years, I get what you're saying, I do something different, but then what do they do with that exercise? They try to push themselves to burn it down exactly. while finding where the wheels fall off so they rein it back and in. That's what I'm talking about, the ones that aren't receptive to possibly learning. You and I, we don't have that issue. We haven't we're had still, it yet. We're still focusing on just the foundation. This is why I don't want to get into niche classes. Mm -hmm. I yep. don't want to get into night vision operator, CQB, one man solo CQB, two man CQB, four man CQB, shooting upside down, hanging from a helicopter classes, the niche classes. I just want to focus on the foundation classes, which are, we call them foundational, but it's basically your level yeah. one class. I wanted to get away from fucking one. What's a, what's a one class and a two class? No one fucking knows. So it's yeah. like, it's like Daniel, when you said earlier, like when you have a student open up with like, so if you tell them how to do something and they go immediately, they respond, well, this instructor taught me to do this. And you said you immediately almost switch off, right? I, I've got a few things that I, I think help mitigate that. And I don't get, many of those people at all and yeah, I it's haven't just, I'm just wondering since I started what you're doing in you 2013 out here um, and when I do get them it's usually because chief made me come I didn't really want to come train you know the law enforcement officer or something those. Um, those happen every once in a while but one I, I build the curriculum in a way and that's, there's, a, there's a difference in knowing how to do stuff and, and then packaging a class. And then, you know, I, my, like, for example, my carbine class and handgun class, what is the most likely for a shooter to need to know how to do in a fight? How do I front load the highest priorities to the beginning of the class, but also have enough stuff in the beginning of the class to have them ready for the priorities? Because you can't just start with like the biggest priority. You got to build them up to that. We got to get with weapons handling, understand carries and transports, ready positions, all this stuff before we can start really presenting to the target, which is also important. That's what sort of separates the rock stars from the groupies is weapons handling. And yes. So <laughs> the, I mean, yeah, nobody wants somebody who's a poor handler of weapons next to them with a gun out, right? Like it's the worst thing. So the, uh, I think it's me freaking peeping over here. Oh no, I'm no, just, he's, you have, he's literally shedding in your office. Oh, nice. Put that back in there. Put that back in. It'll be all right. It'll go with mine. <laughs> but the, the curriculum is structured, I try to do it in a way that 
Yeah, you might not care about my high ready. You know, it's not my high ready. It's the high ready, right? Like, there's a reason why it's it's popular. Not because it looks cool, but because it's functional in a lot of ways. It's not the answer to every question, but it's the answer to some. And sometimes people don't buy into that. But you're going to find later on when we have some more reality-based flat range, square range drill stuff later on that you're going to need more than just your low ready tools. Oh. You're going to need more than just a high compress ready with a handgun. You're going to need the holster temple. You're going to need a lot of stuff because of the movement things that we're doing and you're working in close proximity with a partner. Yeah. So you may not buy into all those things early on, but, and I'm just going to let you keep going, you know, and, and, and I'm going to keep correcting you because I tell them at the beginning of the class. I've been wrong about so many things in my life. I'm probably wrong about something today. Things that I thought for sure that I knew I had it all figured out in the gun world that I learned later on that I did not have anything figured out. So there may be something today that I hit you up a year from now and say, hey, remember that thing I taught? Well, I did disagree with myself now because I've changed my mind on that because new information became available. Um, and uh, I'll also- growth. Yeah, it all happens. Like some of us are honest about it, some of us exactly. aren't, right? I, I'm one of the dumbest people I know. <laughs> but the uh, if I if I have it structured in a way that at the same time, like there's some things that I, I don't want to, I don't want you to ever be standing there after I'm teaching something and I'm going to teach everything. I'm going to explain. I'm going to demonstrate it. Right. And then I'm going to have them replicate it. And then I'm going to coach them as they replicate it. And then whenever I feel that they understand how to do it properly, how to do it safely, where it fits in reality, and how to actually go replicate it in their own training when they're not paying me to hang out with them, then I'm, I'm layering the next thing. The next thing's coming up, and we're putting that on top of it. None of that stuff goes away, just the next thing gets layered on. So uh, if somebody didn't buy into that thing at the beginning, they're probably going to later on as more things get layered on because there's a damn good reason why it's in there. It's not because I watched some video and it looked cool and we put it in the class, right? There's a, there's a good reason behind it, and they'll eventually pick it up. But the demonstration, and when you demonstrate or you have another shooter demonstrate, or there's people in the class, and I would, if like Brandon's really switched on great shooter, I'm gonna put him next to that guy yeah. and show him that, that like this is what a high level looks like. And whenever I demonstrate, I'm gonna do what I refer to as demonstrate hard, I'm gonna show them what a high level of proficiency looks like. So if they're not looking like me, or they're not looking like Brandon, they can think whatever they want or say whatever they want. Everybody in the class but them knows that they should probably do this thing. Exactly. Right? Um, and that's why they're not as good as Brandon, right? Or they're not as good as me. And uh, that's peer pressure thing is, is kind of effective. Then they'll start buying in. And uh, I'm just not an asshole to people. And uh, I, I don't I don't get that way. I don't, I don't get upset with people on the range. I expect them every second when somebody's got a gun out next to me, I'm like, okay, how's he going to shoot me? <laughs> how's he going to shoot me? All right, I know he's going to. You, you mentioned bringing the rock star into the class. So... When I so I got picked up to my agency uh, after, of course, the test and you know the the formal stuff. But what brought me over to my agency was I told you one of the guys that I currently work with was one of the guys that truly brought me over. He said, "Hey, I'm lateraling from this department to this department. Here's the pros. I got a full time SWAT team. Come over to the SWAT. Come over to this department." So I was like, "Okay, cool." Along with that, I had known probably about three or four of the TAC dudes and the range master to the department that I work for. So I knew the guys that were the hitters within that department. We were friends. We seen each other on the range. We shot together. It was great. So I said, hey, maybe I have a place in this department. Let's do it. One of the guys I knew was at that time the range master for the department. He's since left, now works for a different company. He's off into greener pastures. He was the stereotypical uh, range master for a PD, which when I say that, you're probably like, okay, he was a little bit angry, a little bit crusty, kind of stuck in some older ways, and he probably cussed a whole lot of the range. That was him. I went through the academy. 
After our academy, we go to what we call our in-service. We go to our department for another 15 weeks of our own academy internal department to learn the ways that the department does. Part of that is about a two-week on the range. Okay, you went learn how to shoot in the academy. Now come learn how to shoot from us. That individual that I said was one of my good friends and my mentors uh, was the one that taught our in-service firearms. And he knew what I did. He knew that I taught on the range. He knew that I worked for an ammunition company. He knew my background, what I served, you know, in Ranger Regiment. He knew He knew me. He knew of me. He knew me. Firearms Week comes up. It's me and, like, four other recruits. And I'm I, I, not tuning in horns. I'm the only shooter in the group. There's a bunch of, you know, guys who had never really handled guns before. So we're on the range. Now obviously, you're going to stand out. 25-yard, just a simple 25-yard by, like, six-lane uh, indoor range is what we have access to. So we're in there. We're shooting everything. And in comes this, like, he's like 6'3", bald, big goatee, uh, skinny guy. He's probably in his, God, he left in his 50s. So at the time, he was like his early 50s. He was like, there are pictures of him on the wall holding an MP5 wearing just a jacket and like a, a ball cap in the 80s doing SWAT for this department. The guy's like a legend with yeah. the department. Like. He could say the sky is purple. Dude, the sky is purple. And he was a shooter. I'm talking like 20 yards, stacking like bill drills on on an index card. Like, dude is a tack driver. Just a hell of a shooter. Tack driver. Old school SWAT. Current dude could like shoot shoot the wings off a gnat at like 25. And he's next to me. And I'm like, who is this dude? Like, this old guy? Like, this guy? This guy? This old guy? Like, who's this guy? Oh, yeah, he's, he's on our SWAT team. I'm like, wow, SWAT team has some wounds, dude. Dude, he outshot. Like, I'm sitting there going, dude, focus. Stop dropping shots. Like, dude, this guy is out shooting me, like, left and right. He's doing a little bit, he's doing everything a little bit slower. Like, he's definitely, you know, at that time, it was, you know, mag in, over the top. You know, there was no slide lock reload. He was doing all that. And it was super, like, basic stuff that yeah. he was doing. Go to the fundamentals. Eyes and trigger, that dude didn't miss. Like, it was like, I swear he only shot that target once. And we just shot like 100 rounds. Like, dudes like this at like varying distances. I'm like, how the dude is this? How is this dude out? Like, years later, I'm on the team. That individual had left, was replaced by someone on the range uh, that now is our range master. And uh, occasionally in conversation, he always likes to remind me, you know why I brought him in, right? To check you. Like you, you got through the academy, you took top PT, you took you took top shot at the academy, but you need yeah. someone to check you. Wherever you are, you need someone to check you. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I definitely got checked that day. There's a fine line that you know, I, I there may be some exceptions to this, but having some humility will go a long ways, especially as an instructor. Having humility as a student will go a long ways. But then to be truly great at something, to be like a really a truly great SWAT officer, there has to be a little level of arrogance in there too. And if you're going to be a guitarist, you have to have a little bit of humility, you know, to grow to that level. But at some point, you know, there's, there has to be a little bit of arrogance in there to to push you to that next, to, to feel like that you're more superhuman than you are, to maybe take some of the actions that normally you wouldn't otherwise. You know, I, I don't know the best way to explain that. Or not that. take them. Exactly, mm-hmm. that too. Or Having the confidence them. to do the right thing, even if the right thing isn't what everybody else thinks it is, you know? So, like. Whereas we were, you know, blowing doors open and. 
free flowing buildings and you know corners were getting unchecked but it's just like violence of action this world in this uniform and this capacity is as surgical as i've ever seen it like when i come onto the team dude there was a time when i was like this probably isn't a place for me because i'm apparently moving way too fast yeah it took kind of a while to figure out the different kind of roles because it is absolutely surgical. I was, I was shooting with a, a buddy just uh, last weekend and he wanted to go out and he wanted to shoot just as fast as we possibly could on rifle. He wanted to do all these combat focus exercise, a whole lot of running gun. Were you shooting with Jeremy? <laughs> no, the individual I was shooting with, I can't say his name right now. He's in the process for a lot of really cool guy stuff right now, but he is heavily on social media. Um, but we had a conversation because I was like running these exercises. Admittedly, like a drop to shot here. And, you know, I was like, man, dude, I had to tell him it's been a while since I've done like some true, just like balls to the wall, dump as many rounds as I can, battle drill one, react to contact stuff. Because with this with this rifle, I I have trained in the last five and a half years in this capacity to be as surgical as I possibly can. Doesn't mean I can't get into, uh, you know, react contact, break contact. Let's just burn down the A zone or the C zone as quick as we can. But I try to be because of where we are. And again, SWAT officers don't get as much credit. You have to be as surgical mm -hmm. as you possibly can. Because what is your primary uh, weapon as a police officer? Your pistol. What's the one that you need to go grab out of the trunk when shit gets a little hairy and things need to be radically surgical? The big gun. It's. I mean, that's those are those are all good points, man. The. Um, it's interesting. The. I have a similar or the exact same philosophy, to where you've arrived at in your personal training level, and you know that example is perfect. The. Uh, we don't get better at sighted fire by using unsighted fire. Like we don't, I don't get faster on my sights at precision by doing combat focus, uh, you know, draw my gun, kinesthetic body alignment, whatever. Mm -hmm. But every time that I draw my gun to sight alignment, I do get better at that body alignment, kinesthetic alignment, because whether my sights are aligned or not, you know, whether I'm observing them being aligned, they're not like Schrodinger's cat. They they, they are still aligned because that's why I'm still hitting like that guy with the eyes closed shooting that you were talking about earlier, right? Um, it's still going to hit there. But, but if you're, you've got a strong baseline of your capabilities with surgical precision. And since you've achieved that strong baseline understanding of your ability uh, to shoot extremely precisely in, in any environment, now you have that baseline that you can subtract from and trade speed for precision or precision for speed. And like, I don't need to shoot the button on this guy's shirt. I need to get it in the upper thoracic, right? So, and you know what it takes to shoot the button on the shirt, which also tells you what it takes to get it somewhere in here, in the chest area somewhere. So I, I, that practicing perfect is something that I believe very strongly in. Going out and shooting fast and hope is part of your 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 shooting process of the shot um i hope this next shot's on because the last one was pretty good but I'm, <laughs> even though i don't see the sights or anything else like i'm gonna go and hit the trigger again because Please i feel like i should be shooting send fast. this to the yeah. same place right like, like <laughs> hope doesn't work but if i practice precision and I, I i hold myself to practice and have the discipline to practice perfection like i'm gonna get faster at perfection and and i also am establishing that baseline understanding of of what it takes to be perfect and when i don't need perfection i know exactly how much speed i can trade training priorities because the biggest thing we've seen because you have a class and you've been predominantly teaching open enrollment classes so for lack of a more kind of 
simple way of saying it, people seek out the instruction. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, here's this advertisement. This is the day. This is how much money it is. I'm going to prioritize my personal life. I'm going to take off work. I'm going to spend that dough, and I'm going to go to the class. So they, they, they have expressed in all of these actions a willingness to go to this class. When we started the whole Average Joe's range day thing, right, we had a lot of people that were just like, it's free. It's at the same place that we're shooting at. And it's on the days where typically most people are off, like Saturdays. A lot of the people that came out to the very first couple, like handful of Average Joe's range days were just that, like your average dudes. They needed real classes. And what we do at the Average Joe's range day is not a class. It's not. It's a big open range day where you have 45-minute blocks where in each block you'll have a different proctor, just kind of proctoring some type of really fun exercise that has a purpose. Hopefully you take it home. Hopefully you learn something from it, but we aren't by any means truly like breaking shit down and it's a class. It's just proctoring some exercise. One of, I did it for like the first three Average Joe's range days on a, on the rifle bay, but then some people caught into it. And uh, like it, it wasn't a surprise anymore, but I called it what like an exposure drill, just to see where people's mindset were in their training. So I had everybody on, I had like eight people on a line. Uh, I had them face down range, load and make ready, and then muzzle to the ground, safe hang, one eighty face up range. While I went down range at about ten yards down range, uh, I put up a photographic realistic target of your classic Hollywood Hollywood. Uh, hostage rescue thing. You know, the typical dude's got like a chick right here and he's got like a mm-hmm. head, right? And all you have is this low percentage shot at about 10 yards, plus the image is kind of reduced on the paper, so realistic, it's like a 15 yards hostage shot, right? And you're talking like a six by six, maybe eight by eight at the most uh, head around the head. Yeah. And we just wanted to expose people and see what they did. So without giving them any instructions, without telling them a course of fire, without telling them uh, a round count without telling them anything. All their instructions were was, hey, on the sound of this buzzer, you're going to turn and engage, scan and assess, engage whatever you see with whatever appropriate amount of firepower you deem necessary to end the threat. That's all they had. And then for safety reasons, I told them, of course, not to move. Yeah. Just turn, stay static, and engage. More than half the group missed the shot. The other half the group that did make the shot probably fired like four rounds. Hit low, too. Probably no. Well, a couple more. people swept the hostage. Well, and what? And then we had to the we had to bring him in, and we have this we have this kind of mindset, uh, you know, discussion. Okay, if you turn and engaged, and you fired, you know, your rounds, and you either smoked the hostage or you completely missed. Okay, now we need to focus on actually training manipulations of the weapon system and, and what this actually does. If you hit it, the target, or even miss, but you fire like four rounds, you need to reevaluate kind of your training mindset because what happens to meat when a bullet meets it? It typically moves. Yeah. So why in a hostage situation that's presented from us when all we need to do is turn and engage this? Are we firing multiple rounds? Now we've either sent the last three rounds into dead air or we smoked the hostage that you just freed or whatever it may be. But there's a big fundamental mindset in training that I don't think people... The average shooter, because you tell a SWAT guy, hey, put one round in it, call it good, scan assess, look under his legs, you know, radio for more dudes, whatever it may be. But the average shooter is so focused heavily, social media is probably so focused heavily on like, how fast can I make this one reload one? They're forgetting real world application of training. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Something I saw, especially the second time you did it, because I was there for both times. The second time you did it, you moved the target for each person sometimes. Like you would move like down the line because there was always like 12 targets set up, 12, 12, like 12 shooters on the line. And he would move it. And he would say, just like you said, turn, set, and uh, address address the target. Or sometimes he would say, address what's there. 
because sometimes there wasn't a target. Oh, and yeah, they need to have people turn. And they would, because <laughs> it was like all brown targets with like one hostage rescue. So, like, it's just a blank brown target backer. You have people that would turn and just like put two into the A zone of like, oh, not not the A zone, like literally a blank, just a target backer. Just not, no just perforations, yeah. no nothing, just a target <laughs> backer. And they put two into the target backer. I'm like, <laughs> and then you'd see the you'd see their face too, but like hell yeah. <laughs> That's also that is a training problem there too. Smoke like, that ass. <laughs> um, I have a drill that it's been called uh, mini alphabet soup before, mm-hmm. and um, I put up a bunch of targets all over the range and still targets along the back berm at different areas and stuff. And I'll have hostage targets in there, and I'll have them just just like if this is my range right here. Like they're staggered all over the place, and I've I've tried to set them up strategically so because I I have my own safety rules because I hate every safety rule I've ever been taught all over the years. So I, I rewrote my own safety rules that I still don't really love them, but they're they're mine. And um, one of them is be sure of your target and ensure that its foreground and background remain clear. Like not just are clear right now, but they remain clear. So uh, the foreground and background. So if I've got a gas station situation or a mall or whatever it is, there's a lot of innocent people out there. Bad guy doesn't care about people in the backgrounds or foregrounds. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility as a law enforcement officer to care about that. And not just is my foreground and background clear right now, but when everybody's running for exits and, and trying to drop down to the ground in the absence of cover or whatever else, there's a lot of movement happening, a lot of movement for the bad guy. A lot of movement for you. Uh, this is something we have to be constantly thinking about in in a populated environment if we have to use a firearm. So this drill, uh, we've, we've went through some protection of third party where they learn how to protect like a loved one and move in front of them, get online with somebody so they don't cross their fire. Like just a lot of simple like um, close protection techniques. And um, this is like the end, toward the end of the day too. And this is the final drill. And I I might have somebody. If it's a big guy like you that, that, that you know, likes it a little bit rough, uh, they might get pushed a little bit, you know, whenever I'm calling numbers. And I'll call a number or a shape, and they're trying to find the best place to engage that target from. Uh, they're communicating with the people around them. They're going to get online with the target that they have to shoot close to. So it, there's a lot of movement that happens out there. They're not real people out there. They're targets, so I'm not putting real people downrange for that. But... Uh, it gets them moving around a lot. There's a lot of things that uh, some people that I've seen done with, with Sims in similar situations that, that does a lot of good that's very reality-based. You know, there's a lot of stuff. Instagram, 90% of the things I see out there, even though there's some people out there that I don't like, but I do often agree with what they say, and I see that they're getting good instruction from somebody, um, there's, there's, I always feel like there's a lot of things missing from what we're seeing on Instagram. Like the fact that this is not just one bad guy out there all the time. They're, the square range mentality is has gotten more popular now than I think it's ever been in my life. Um, just the idea of this is what we should practice on the square range and not really incorporate reality based stuff because you know what you're talking about is decision making. Not every not every target requires a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I might call a number that is not even out there, and they shouldn't draw their gun. Right, like if there's, if I don't know what's going on. Let's is it investigate. They 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 can even ask me. They can communicate. I want them to talk and think the whole time. Um, so if there's not a target there and you're just waving around at people, whatever, or no, you're maybe, the active shooter, right? Yeah, exactly. You're doing a really good impression of a murderer or an active shooter right now. And just because you hear a gunshot in the food court doesn't mean you're about to come around the corner with a gun drawn and there's a law enforcement mm-hmm. officer just drop this dude, right? And now you're next, right? Mm-hmm. So or you're in a shootout with a cop. So there's a lot of things that to think about and and movement and how are we moving with the gun, you know at the same time like if I'm moving with a gun and I've got it in my holster and covered and concealed I can do whatever I'm looking like everybody else is just running right now Uh, but if my gun comes out I need to look like I know what I'm doing with it 
I need to look like the high, highly trained officers that those other officers that are responding may recognize as trained people. So I want, I want to handle my weapon in a way that doesn't look like I'm endangering people around me and I'm handling it with a level of proficiency. So uh, one that's contagious for anybody else who may have a gun uh, in some ways, but um, I also don't want to get shot. I also believe that we should always have good guy talk coming out of our voice, out of our mouth. Like if I've got a gun out in a public environment, I'm not dressed like you do for work day. Um, I need to look and sound like a good guy in action, in verbiage. This is actually my work day. And, and okay, good. Uh, and maybe you do then, and, and everything else. And um, and but people always do. They like they're they're making the wrong decisions. Like you're people shooting the cardboard target just the center because they didn't get. Um, you didn't maybe explain, hey, if you don't have any targets up there, don't shoot it. You know, maybe you said something along the lines like, "There's, there's target. If you got targets, or if you see, if you identify a bad guy or whatever, shoot them." But then everybody else is just shooting their target because they, they think that, oh, the instructor must want me to um, do this thing. You know, like they must want to shoot that. Like that's not what we're going for. You know? The flat range. You said like the flat range mentality is so true because there, I think that people can learn more training scars from a flat range mentality than they can real world applicable tactics and shooting. Yeah. Like how many people, like if you was, if you had an active shooter in the mall, you're probably going to either peep it holster until you find the threat, seek cover, find the most advantageous position on the battlefield and then draw when you actually have a threat. Or you may be super switched on and you just kind of do like a, a super low pro concealed. I like the old thigh index, you know, while mm -hmm. I'm moving through a crowd or whatever it may be. But the whole, I think Instagram, social media in general, the advent of looking cool on social media for the looking cool somehow transpired to knowledge, like this guy's the knowledgeable person. I think that's so inaccurate because the dudes who I respect the most and seek out their instruction, like the dudes who are like on my to-do class list, are the guys that actually have no social media. Like the guys that have actually done it. Yep. One of the most, you said, you talk about background for the law enforcement officer, the SWAT officer, the law enforcement officer, and ultimately, you are your first, you know, industry buzzword, you are your own first responder. The average everyday shooter, they have to contend with massive backgrounds, fleeing people, and just absolute chaos. Yeah. Our team got uh, picked up to get called upon to go do the whole respond to the Dallas riots, the big you know, BLM riots a couple of years ago. And I've been shot at. I've shot at people. Uh, I've done some wazoo shit in my life overseas. Um, I will absolutely say that that was, bless you. It's coming, cucumber. Cucumber. I usually have three. Cucumber. It's weird to only have one. Cucumber. What's cucumber? I'm thinking about cucumber and I'll sneeze you anymore. You see someone about Secure. to sneeze, you say cucumber and it, it gets in their oodaloo. What? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. You keep what? Like, yeah. uh, uh, that was the most. So downtown, do we get you know, cities proverbial on fire. Like buildings are on fire, vehicles are getting smashed into, flipped over. Vehicles are on fire. Downtown Dallas. Uh, raise your hand in this room if you've ever been to downtown Dallas. It's beautiful. You got a beautiful downtown. Like nice restaurants, nice streets, everything. The city's absolutely on fire. Like it was wild they called in state troopers they called in dps every surrounding agency got called in and had some type of on the ground presence during that because it was just absolutely wild uh my department my team as well as a couple other teams were called up and we did what we kind of did like a roving qrf so like during that whole night i mean we were out there for like nine hours uh during that whole night when something would pop off in one area one of our teams where it was close to it would just go ahead and work their way through the city to that area and try to handle as best they can. 
uh, case in point, oh, the, the Whole Foods down by El Phoenix, the Whole Foods is being broken into. They're smashing the windows, yada, yada. Well, of course, the DPS and troopers who have like a perimeter around the city, they're like, you know, our team, you know, we like move to the city. I'm talking like moving around barricades, trying to go through alternate streets because Google Maps is, is shit yeah. worthless because everything's blocked off. There's like, you know, cars stacked up and there's like crowds that won't let you pass. They're throwing cinder blocks at your at your vehicle, trying to get through all these little problems. It was weird. Like I, like I said, I've been shot at, shot at people, demolished buildings with hand grenades, seen what, you know, thermal, thermal barrier grenades do to buildings, seen, you know, rockets launched from, from cast. Like all of that stuff overseas was cool, right? That was cool. Like, but at the same time, like you said, it was kind of normal. Was desensitized to it. That environment that I described, like downtown Dallas a couple years ago, was wild for me. I bet. Because at any minute, if some shot rings out from a crowd, mm-hmm. if some shot comes out from the top of the building, which we were just rolling around in Tahoes, where is it coming from? Mm-hmm. There's like four million people out here. Yeah. I mean, that's over-exaggerated, but realistically, there are thousands of people on the street. They're all saying, fuck the police. They're all saying death to the cops. It was funny when we're sitting at an intersection just chilling for a minute. Also, Dallas has experienced a similar thing before. Yes. During during that parade or whatever that was anti-cop and once the shooting started happening. That's got to be in the back of your mind. Like, you want to talk about, you want to talk about, like, holy shit backstop. You want to talk about, like, I have no target indicators. That was, I was sitting there going, like, this is going to suck. Like, how do we react to this? Like, we're going to be getting shot at from something. Very limited uh, cover in the middle of the streets. Now we got to move to, you know, positions of cover around pillars and buildings and whatnot. The communication was all over the place because every every agency was working on a different radio channel. Like, it was not That's a nightmare. war. It was not war. I will give you that. To I've served, you've served, all, my, all the other people that are probably listening to this probably served. But that was weird to me. Like... If a shot rings out from something, I even talked to one of my buddies. I was like, "Dude, that was weird." Like, if a shot rings out, what are we realistically? We got to respond to it, and move towards it. But like, dude, the backgrounds are insane. Yeah. We have to truly get on top of wherever this threat is as best we can, and we aren't going to have a shot until we're right on top of this dude. That's wild. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Wild. And that's one of the. That's even the, the training thing. You know, like it's the small things that. It, I hate to get like to a technique, but the because um, there's something profound there too. The uh, you're clearing a background. You know, moving laterally is not your only tools to clear a background. You know, changing levels clears a background. Shooting high into the ground, not the greatest. You know, shooting from the ground up to clear the background, changing trajectory of your fires uh, can do that. You know, just by dropping to a low kneeling, prone, whatever else to get a hit. If you got a background down a hallway, you know, the ability to shoot good is. There's nothing more important in that situation than there is no accuracy by volume. Here. There's no battle drill one. We're not telling one dude on the fire team to switch it over to uh, you know uh, auto and dump a mag while the other team you know outmaneuvers. Like there is none of that. There is accuracy by every shot has a lawsuit. This this all these riots here in Dallas and, and all over the country and the way things were and the way people were getting attacked if they went down the wrong road and getting drug out of their cars and the things that were happening all over the country. Um, it changed the way I looked at a lot of things because, you know, I, before if somebody would ask me a question about, hey, if, if X happens, what would you do? And I'm like, well, I have to go with some court precedents and some things that have happened in similar self-defense situations to really inform my 
advice on on what what I think you should do in that situation. You know, and I, I love these thinking games, like you know, tactical decision game, whatever. Um, I think it's, I'd rather spend time doing that sometimes than shooting because uh, we get there's a lot we can learn from it. But this was uh, it wasn't what we referred to as like the three block war like asymmetric warfare where, you know, we're handing out book bags and doing some, getting these kids in schools on this block, but then this block, you know, we're all out freaking trying to collect on an HVT and maybe go snatch them up. And then over here on this block, there's something else going on, you know. Um, this was like that. And uh, it changed a lot for the armed citizen. You know, if I accidentally get caught up in a riot um, for the wrong way and somebody's trying to drag me out of the car, based on what I have seen in the news, the violence that have happened to families when that's happened, it's changed my thought process on my immediate response. Yeah. And my immediate response before may have been, you know, lock the keys in the car, call the police, or lock myself in the car, call the police. Um, maybe if I have to, threaten the use of force. Like, I... I I can't, I'm not really going to explain like all my thoughts of working through all this right here on a podcast going out there on the internet, but um, it is all with the end goal of me making sure I get out of there with my family alive. Absolutely. And there is a huge disparity of force in that situation. And uh, I, I think it, I think it changed a lot of things for um, the way we, we look at mob violence and uh, it is a very dangerous thing, man. Like I could being out there with no cover. That's a scary thing. Right, like, where's it coming from? I know it's coming, but where's it going to come from? And I got nowhere to go. Surprised, I guess you didn't have enough Bearcats or uh, uh, big vehicles, right? Each, uh, each department, like our team, we had ours out there. But you're talking about a team of like 30 dudes, another team. Of it also doesn't dudes. cover cover 360 degree spherical environment it, it either. It doesn't. It's also that's that's one of the things you know coming from one unit to the other is like that's no longer. Like it's it's actually that's your home, that's your piece of cover, that's your mobile piece of cover, and how it is actually employed is a lot into the tactics that you're doing. It's interesting to me. I think that a lot more people, uh, for the average shooter that might be listening, or anybody you know that comes out to our range days or your range days or whatever it may be, like start thinking about the pro the 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 principles of what you're doing and the process of what you're doing, but ultimately always be thinking about the implementation of it. Like I can get really good at shooting. But I need to also start thinking about how good I am at tactics and one man, like life preservation skills in an actual no shit environment. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people are doing that. I, don't I think a lot of people are doing it. I started uh, in the handgun class, uh, incorporating uh, bleeding control in it. Mm -hmm. Not something I did in the past, but you know, recently, because people, I, it surprised me how much people don't know that are out there, they think they're at the step where they should be taking a class to learn how to carry and defend themselves better and handle their handgun better, and I'm glad they're there. Um, but to me, they haven't went and, and done the first step in that. You know, it's like, I, what is most likely to happen in my life to protect myself and the ones that I love? Well, I should be able to control bleeding. I should be able to do CPR. You know, I should be able to um, do all manner of, of first aid things. And then my, my next line of defense, like I should have a firearm, know how to, to carry it and defend myself with it. Okay, and eventually get a rifle, eventually get armor. I'm covering more least likely scenarios, but are also, you know, fall down in that spectrum somewhere. Um, and I, the, the tactics, the thinking, um, the decision making, having, I, I guess the, the end of the, the whole story, what I try my best to accomplish is um, I want to get across, I want to inspire people to think. And I want to inspire people to 
to get more training because they realize that they can get more training. You know, I've been, I, I started training in the Marine Corps and I was got this lucky like special team I was on my first year and, and it was it was just awesome. I did I had more fun in my first year than I did the next 16 um, in the Marine Corps. And then, uh, but I, I learned so much in that first year. I learned one that I've got a lot to learn. And uh, cause I saw people at a super high level that I thought I would never get there. You know, just because they were just leaps and bounds ahead of me, and not just in shooting, but thinking, decision making, processing information, observation, um, you know, processing what they're observing, and and planning, and just the, the, all the things that really matter more than just the shooting part. To me, I think the shooting part's the easy part, not because I have a natural ability, because I never have had a natural ability at anything, um, but because it's the easy part. You know, I need to learn to point my gun where I want my bullet to strike and then make my gun to go bang without moving the gun. And then maybe a few other things to help that out. The other part is the complicated part. Funny you bring up, because this is a topic that we've gotten into, because we get a lot of questions from the average shooter that gets into it, comes up to classes, and they're they're starting out on their journey that we were out on, we started out on years ago. But they, uh, one of the companies you say, talk about being able to control bleeding. How many people have we gotten, they're like, uh, what's the best um, uh, gauge needle, oh. like for needle decompression? They have no idea know how to do a needle decompression. Like, oh, I need needle for my IFAC. I need some uh, needles for needle decompression. Uh, I need some saline locks for, you know, all this. And I'm like, bro, are we, like, are we just outside of, you know, cobble right now? Like, where, are we waiting on dust off? Like, think about the, where are we? Realistic. And that's one thing we bring with the whole average Joe's thing is like grounded mindset on training and try to think about what is the realistic scenario that we're working on right here? Because the biggest thing you can do is know how to accurately and confidently return fire and end the threat, maybe control some bleeding while you're already hopefully in between those two on the phone or having someone yep. on the phone with 911, mm -hmm. getting EMS to you and then maybe stopping bleeding enough for EMS to get you to the hospital that's maybe five to 10 minutes away. Right. Like people are like, I need saline locks and worst case scenario, via 17 panels to like yep. bring in a bird. I'm like, bro, we are not there. <laughs> Active shooters in a school is, is kind of, or in this kind of environment where, you know, we can't get EMS in just yet. But we also have changed SOPs all across this country uh, with triage teams going in with like second end responding officers and such, um, the, which has done a lot of good because usually the people who are bleeding out are going to be bled out by the time we get them to a higher level of care. But, you know, the, the Hartford consistency, the, the American College of Surgeons, after the Boston Marathon massacre there that happened, the... Um, they got together and determined that the way to, to uh, the most likely way to reduce the loss of life in a mass casualty event, whether it's terrorism, shooting, whatever it is, is having on-scene responders, not law enforcement, not not fire, EMS, but on-scene responders understanding how to control bleeding. Yes. And um, that's when they started the... Uh, um, what's it called the stop the bleed program and all that stuff and, and built the stop the bleed kits and, and that good stuff. So it's, and know how to pack a wound, apply a pressure dressing, throw in a chest seal and uh, tourniquet. Yep. And that's it. Massive amounts of tourniquets, Israeli bandages, Z gauze, combat gauze, and a whole bunch of chest seals and a cell phone. You could be a force multiplier and save a lot of lives. Well, being and willingness to do so. I was at the gym about two months ago, and we had a guy on a pendulum squat, and he was doing it backwards to work his hamstrings, and he thought he locked it in on his last nice. rep. He did not. 
it I was sitting in the room with three other guys. He shot back, hit his head on the back of a on a steel bar. Bald headed guy, a lot of tension right there. And it went from the back of his ear to the back of his ear. Mm. And he is just bleeding. But he's got such a hard impact. He's just I mean, he's concussed on oh, the yeah. ground. He's up. I mean, he's awake, but he's concussed on the ground. And I'm in there with one employee and three other guys, and everyone's like and everybody's just staring at this guy and I'm like, give me that towel. Oh, they like whip up the cell phone. Well yeah. yeah. Well one guy did get a cell phone. The guy video. that the guy that was working there, I was Same like, Hey man, place. like you have a you have a first aid station somewhere? He's like, that's a dirty towel. I was like, it doesn't matter. This guy's bleeding out of his head. <laughs> right. Right? Like, it was just. Shock him. And then so people hear the commotion from the cardio room, and they come in. And then all of a sudden, you've got 20 people in there. I found out one time. I found out later on there was a nurse in there. And she was still just there just to watch. And it's like, I, I just know I need to stop the guy's blood from coming out of his head yeah. and talk to the dude. And I'm sitting there, and I've got a bunch of people just standing around and just watching. And it, it kind of just, it, it really blew my line, especially when you see people fumbling through their gym bag for their cell phone. There's a lot of that. And not just like medical emergencies, but man, there's a lot of people just standing around watching bad things happen to people. And they just don't have the raisin yeah. to be, uh, I mean, a, a good person doesn't let somebody be hurt in front of them. Like, Parenting, bro. I'm not a trauma surgeon, but I know I need to put something on his head. The biggest thing, to, that's what the, the the turned out, the nurse lady was like, like, that's a dirty towel. I was like, because it was like at the, in the corner of the... Why aren't you gym. finding me a clean one? I was like, I'm just like, I need something. You know what I mean? I think a staph infection is his least... Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, like, yeah. <laughs> like, it was just, it... it the Going home and the, the, the after action, I just processing it of just like... Like I, I yes, I was happy. I I jumped in and did something, but it was just the lack of everybody else's like just. And I found out there was medical staff there that just stood there, like why? Not all just, not all medical professionals are created equal. No, hundred percent, just like, like anything else. And some of them don't know anything about trauma at all. How many how many police officers you see just hanging out during the uh, active shootings or active situations? Yeah, it's like that stuff has popped up in the news. It's true. Absolutely, you can't teach people violence. You're more than anyone. But but to your point, the, they're going to get to higher level. The worst case scenario, like active shooter, they might be in the the structure for an hour, maybe two tops. If like it's they're super slow and everybody's absolutely horrible, right? Like you're you're not losing a limb to a tourniquet in that amount of time. We've greatly exceeded that and proven that that you're not going to lose a limb. It's not life before limb anymore. That's BS, especially not conus. Uh, same thing with you know needle decompression like that. Maybe if you're planning for apocalyptic type environment where we don't have, you know, trauma centers anymore, something like that, I would like to know how to do those things. But out there in our everyday life right now, um, you're, you're not getting tension with thorax from wearing a chest seal for two hours, right? It's just, you're not even going to be that long. So it's, uh, I don't know, man. Like it's we have place. a lot of, we talk a lot and don't train enough. Yeah. It's, it's, and I hate to say it because of all the positives that it brings us, you know, Friendships, the community, the, I mean, this social media brought about brings a lot of good. But man, it's like your flat range mentality. There are training scars from everything. And I think social media can put the wrong things in the spotlight and not emphasize the good things. Yeah. And that's not just to say the firearms community, the training community. I mean, look at the media, bro. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, drama sells. You know what I, I hate seeing right now? Um, I hate seeing us turning against each other. And when I say us, I mean like people that you know probably would agree with you almost 100% politically, definitely 100% geopolitically, uh, and on firearms and everything else. 
but if anybody says something different than the fake news that we've referred to as fake news over the past two years or really six years, um, they are being called communist sympathizers and things. I've seen that in our in our community right now, and and that's a a, a bad bad thing that's happening because that's exactly what the other side wants and that's what they're they're trying to do and we see the same thing in in training it's annoyed me for a long time and i've tried my best to be an example of not doing it i don't know if anybody sees it because i don't really do a whole lot of social media anymore um but this idea of of giving zero fucks right or uh who who doesn't care the most is the most awesome and whoever's the most savage and did you see what so-and-so said to so-and-somebody he eviscerated him whatever like this this we're cheering on our our people being assholes to each other and uh i think a man's measured by how many f's he gives not how many he doesn't give and i i don't like those people who don't give any around me around my family and everything else but we're we're glamorizing a lot of the negative things in humanity because they're somehow pretend like they're masculine or tough or something and i i think it's it's poison i think it comes back to what you said earlier and it's about who you surround yourselves with like we're in a group chat with a bunch of like like the average joe's guys plus a bunch of our shooting friends and we talk about everything under the sun just crap that doesn't matter to like i'm having a bad day y'all cheer me up and it's like we get positive we get negative but at the end of the day we are we are each other's accountability people like if i'm if i'm wrong brandon's gonna tell me i'm wrong or if like we this, need that but you it, it, start drinking our own kool-aid part, it's the best part of it's the best part of our group is we're able to check each other and still go out and do what we want to do with each other and learn from each other and it's just the ability to grow and not just to be shut down and i know everything yep i wish i knew having everything. that is so important it is but there's there's also certain mentalities out there that usually to me they're easily recognizable who are going to surround themselves with yes men and people who who encourage them no matter what they're doing i think we have that problem in the high level of politics right now people have never been held accountable for their their problems and the things that they're doing wrong um and they've just been cheered on like oh no great job it's not your fault it's somebody else's blah blah and like they they, if they're constantly told they're amazing we see it in celebrities too like you need somebody around you hashtag that's letting you know (laughs) that that your shit don't stink you know (laughs) hashtag state of the union Well, guys, thanks for hanging out with, uh, again, we, we went for like uh, an hour here on the uh, second show, just having a conversation. Those are always a lot more fun to me than... Uh, this is the one where than, it's you know, no visuals. So you're right. wondering what we're wearing. It's gun mag after Same hours. thing as the last one. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> if it hasn't been stated uh, for the record, we appreciate everything you guys are doing. Thank you very much for having us out. You're very welcome, Keep man. Doing. You guys are awesome. Keep doing stuff. All right, uh, guys, until next time when we do it again. We'll see you then. The Mag Life out.